John 13, verses 1 through 17, says this. Should be on the screen. You can follow on your devices. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He had laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only wash my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. That sounds like tension. You only need to wash your feet, but you are completely clean. We'll get there. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12 when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, pivotal question, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I want to talk to you about three points this morning. I want to talk to you about being the greatest. Being the greatest. I think inside of all of us there is this desire to want to be great. Anybody want to be great? Okay. So all the average people, raise your hand who desires to be average, because all y'all ain't raised your hand. Okay, thank you for the average people in the back. Okay, praise God. Um, I, I think there's something in us that wants to be great. I believe Jesus gives us a road to greatness. So three points this morning. Love people, towel ministry, and contagious serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your wisdom and your might. Thank you that you brought us here, not on accident, but on purpose. Thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you manage everything according to the counsel of your own will. Now, Lord, speak in this place. Let your voice be pronounced and clear. Use me to that end that your people may know and hear and obey your truth. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Graduated from a seminary called Capital Seminary in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm trying to think, praise God. I'm trying to see some other graduates in here. 
I'm trying to think back to what year that was, but man, it, it, it really escapes me. Maybe 2015, I'm not sure. Um, and, and I went to a satellite campus, so satellite campus was in Boca Raton, but when I graduated, I went up to the Asheville campus and was just blown away by how big the campus was, how awesome it was to see the campus life of a seminary. It was amazing. And so we got into the graduation and the ceremony is going, and so we're getting our stuff together, and then we walk out, and as we walk across the stage, we're handed uh, this little folder. It's not our diploma. You guys know that. You ain't graduating today. Make sure you paid all the fees, right? You don't get that paper till you, you paid all your bills. But they give you something that looks like it, right? And so they hand that to you. And, and as Dr. Teague, uh, president of Capital Seminary, handed my stuff to me, he had this towel attached, and the towel says, Christ, our example of servanthood, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It is the text that I've taken for us to, to close out this series on bold dreams. Because one of the concerns I have is that if God gives us our dream, is it only about us? And can we flip our dream to have a target to serve other people? He was given this to a group of folks that had just written papers and done assignments and made long trips and are ready to celebrate, but he wants to give us his towel to remind us that with your graduation comes a responsibility to serve. You accomplishing your dreams comes with a desire not only to get yours, but to get ours. Because the Christian faith, in essence, is communal. It is the usness of our faith. And so I want to remind you, because I love you, I don't just want to get you hype. I want to get you moving in the direction that God's called you to. Dreams come with towels. Your dream comes with a towel. So Jesus, as he's getting ready to, to share this message with us, he takes us into what some commentaries call the upper room discourse. It is Jesus getting with his close friends alone. They're going into the upper room. This is near the end of Jesus' life. As a matter of fact, by the next 24 hours, Jesus will be suspended between heaven and earth, hanging on a tree and dying for us. This is his last day. If it was your last day, what would you do? If today was it, how would you live? I don't know, maybe you'll run out and try to do the last, you know, do, do your bucket list and check that thing off. I don't know what's on your bucket list. Here's what's on Jesus' bucket list. I want a clean feet. Why? Your dream comes with a, thank you for talking back to me. So Jesus is with his crew. He's in this, he's, he's in this upper room discourse, and they're, they're, they're chopping it up. But there's no excitement here. The thrills are gone. The crowds have long gone home. The miracles have ceased. There's no eyes being opened in the upper room. There's no ears being opened in the other room. No dead people being raised, not yet, in the upper room. Here's what this is telling us. Christianity cannot just be about hype times. 
you can't live this Christian faith for thrills. Because thrills at best are inconsistent. There's no hey Siri to serve you in the upper room. There's no hey Google, no hey Alexa in the upper room. In the upper room, it's you and it's Jesus. One theologian said concerning this passage, nowhere else in his speech is something so simple yet so deep. Nowhere else have we had the heart of God so unveiled to us. On no other page ever in the Bible have so many eyes glistened with tears and looked and had tears dried. The immortal words which Christ spoke in the upper chamber are the highest self-revelation in speech. So as we dream, let's listen. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that, he had, that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The first thing he's communicating to his disciples in this upper room discourse is, I love you. Now, if you walk with Jesus for any period of time, you should have this testimony. You shouldn't love me. I don't deserve your love. I don't qualify for you. I'm not good enough to be a recipient of this continual, never-ending, never-failing, always-abiding, faithful love. I don't deserve this, but he wants to encourage his disciples to know, hey, I love you. That's good news. That's good news for us. He has one day left to live, but he takes the time to remind us of his love. Here Jesus showing his disciples with what, what his intimate love will look like and that his love will continue until the end. That's good news for someone that's believing God to save someone in their family. That's good news for someone who feels like they've sinned their way out of the kingdom. That's good news for someone who feels like God is through with me. Hear what he says. I love my own who were in the world, and I love them till the end. Question, are you his children? Question, have you been washed in his blood? Have you been bought with a price and redeemed to him? If so, here's a reminder. God loves you. Now, he loves us. We, we know this, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son. So, so why does he differentiate between loving the world and loving his children? Because John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, right? But then here he says, but God so loved his own. What's the differentiation between that? I remember growing up, we couldn't always go to Publix the way my parents' bank account was set up. Sometimes we had to go to Winn-Dixie, and sometimes even when, even when we went to Winn-Dixie, the orange juice was just really expensive. And so household of seven couldn't always just pick up about a gallon of orange juice. We had to get that other thing. Anybody know what the other thing is? Okay, okay. It's, it's that little orange juice that comes in that frozen thing, like about this big. We had to get what's called fro orange juice concentrated. 
See, some of you are so young. Um, it, it, the, the, so what you'll do is you'll get this bottle, you'll open up, you'll put it in water, and then you'll stir until you get something that kind of tastes like... Now, being young, I didn't know what this is, so I'm opening up this concentrated thing, and I'm trying to drink what's concentrated. And I'm like almost throwing this stuff up because it's, it's not orange juice yet. It's concentrated. What you get in this upper room is Jesus concentrating his love on his disciples. This is the beauty of walking with Jesus because even if you're in here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I can say that God loves you. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he really loves you. It is him concentrating his love on you. So when he starts this, we need to listen. And he gives this group the intimate parts of himself. Point two, towel ministry. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he had come from God and was going back to God, so he rose from supper, he laid aside his garment, and he took a towel and tied it around his waist. Now, now, now I, I, I want you to hear this part. The Father gave everything into his hand. Let's, let's think on that for a second. And he was getting ready to go back to the Father where he, where he was before, and he's reigning on the right side of majesty. What I want you to understand is Jesus had everything going. The Father had given everything into his hand. You can almost call out, he still has to go to the cross. But yo, mission is, mission is accomplished. He's, he's right at the finish line. Where are you in your dream? Some of you right now, you have accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish and you don't even really have a next step. Others of you feel like your finish line is so far off, you're wondering whether you're going to get there or not. What I want you to see about Jesus is when he steps into this type of service, he's not stepping into the service trying to get something. He already has it. Jesus is right at the finish line, accomplishing his mission. If I'm Jesus, and, and, and y'all should be thankful I'm not, but if I'm Jesus and I don't I done handled everything else. I got one more, one more thing to do, and then I'm good. Look, at, at the upper room discord, when we sitting at the table, here's what I'm going to say. Give me a praise. Yeah. No, no, more, 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 more. No, no, more, louder, louder. Because, look, everything's going to, look, I'm God in the flesh. I'm hanging with you. I don't, I don't have to hang with y'all. I'd be like, give me a praise. Give me an offering, praise dance, something. The last thing I'm going to do, the last thing, is talk about some feet. Now, feet, let's... Everybody's feet ain't all the way there. And... particularly at this point in human history, because they would walk down roads, and these roads, these would be dusty roads, and, and these roads would have 
uh, all kind of feces on it and all kind of dirt on it, and they'll be walking with their sandals. And so it was customary that when you came into a house, someone would wash your feet. They wouldn't wash your entire body, but they'll wash your feet because your feet are clearly dirty. Your feet are clearly stinking. The problem is, Jesus has sent his disciples ahead to get this room prepared, and when Jesus gets there and they're sitting at table, you have all these men that are here really arguing about who's the greatest, and no one has washed their feet. You have dirty feet and proud hearts sitting at the table with King Jesus. So Jesus, Jesus, I think it's good for us to remember who he is. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, who though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, listen, please understand, Jesus is God. co-equal with God from the beginning, whatever we call the beginning because we don't have a category. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. This is, this is who they're sitting with. They're sitting with someone that is in the form of God, meaning he, he has all majesty. He has always existed. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. This is who they are sitting to sitting next to. And what does he do for us? He empties himself. Now that does not mean he ceased from being who he is or ceased from being divine. He is just demonstrating his divinity through service. He's born in the likeness of sinful men. He participated in the human experience, yet he becomes a servant. He takes on the form of a slave, even to the death of the cross. This is the Jesus we're talking about. And these men, these clear, clearly sinful men are sitting at the table with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords arguing over, here the futility, who's greater? Where are we going to sit when we get into the kingdom? Just silly stuff. And what does Jesus do? He enters the dressing room. Now, have you ever been shopping, guys, with your girl or your wife, and she says this line to you, hey, I'm going to go try this on real quick and come back. Ladies, let me help you. Here's what the guy heard. Two minutes. Here's what you meant, 20 minutes, and there's conflict. This picture is becoming more and more clear for me because I'm not only married uh, to my beautiful wife, I have girls now, and, and I'm actually taking my girls shopping, so not only Kais, but also Jordan. Daddy, I'm going to try this on really quick and come right. No, you're not. You're lying. Let's talk about repentance and confession. Um, You know, this whole dressing room is the idea of going in this, this place that is private to determine what you're going to wear. While the disciples are chattering about who's greater, 
Jesus steps into the dressing room of service, takes off his outer garment, and puts on the clothes of a household maid. Jesus goes into the dressing room of service to make the decision about how he's going to demonstrate his humility. And he cleans feet. I can see him in my mind's eye. The disciples sitting there chattering, bickering, which is probably normative at this time for Jesus and him just putting on his towel. Maybe they're not even recognizing, paying attention to what Jesus is doing. And then all of a sudden he starts walking around and loosening sandals that are filled with all kind of mess. Taking their feet and, and, and putting it in water and washing it and cleaning it. And they're taking the towel that's on him. The, 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 the Bible says he wrapped the towel around himself, so he's taking the towel on his waist and drying their feet. Now, let's just, just logically, right, if I got a towel on my waist and I'm driving your, your, your feet, I'm using the outside of the towel, right, because I don't want what's on your feet getting on me. So I'm using the outside and dry your feet off and keep it moving. But how do you only use the outside for 12 people or 11 people? So his whole towel is filled with mess by the end of this. You can't serve and be clean at the same time. When you serve people, when you lay yourself down for the benefit of others, you're going to end up getting messy yourself. It comes along with the territory, and many of us choose too often to stay clean and pristine, and I don't want your junk on me, and I don't want your mess on me, so I'm not going to fool with you. I'm just going to mind my own business. And in the byproduct of that is no one else gets the benefit from your heart of service. The service to be messy. The service to be messy. And Jesus does just that. He serves them. You know what's good? I think far too often in Christianity, we talk too much and we don't serve enough. We, we talk a lot, but we don't we don't serve. We say the right thing, but we don't serve enough. I'm, I'm just thinking about some of the stuff that Andrew is saying, and I'm wondering, as he's given this pitch about uh, foster care and helping these orphans that are being taken out of their home, and now they're just in this system, I, I, I wonder, as you hear that, are you thinking, ooh, that's for somebody else. You see, I don't know if I can have people in, in my house like that because... I like my house a certain way. Like Andrew said, this ain't for everybody, but maybe the Holy Spirit is talking to somebody this morning. So maybe you're saying, I like my stuff situated in a way that keeps me calm. But you don't own nothing. I don't. Rodney, you don't own, let me talk to me, I, you don't own nothing, boy. That's my stuff. I gave you that. I wonder 
if we always assume that when we're, there's a call for service, that God's talking to the person next to you and not you. He finally gets to Peter, and Peter says this, Lord, uh, you're going to wash my feet? Then he tells God what he's, what he's not going to do. <laughs> We've tried that before too, right? That doesn't work. Um, Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. See, see, maybe some of us are like Peter this morning, and we're thinking, you know, maybe I would help, but I'm too dirty to help. Maybe I would help, but man, I, I don't say the right things. I, I got a short temper. I'm, I'm, I'm not patient enough. Well, wow, those seem like beautiful opportunities for God to form you into the image of what he's calling you to be. Peter's like, not me. Jesus like, if not, you're breaking, it's not like he's losing his salvation. He's breaking the fellowship. That's what that is. It's not like, okay, Peter, if I don't wash you, you're through, you're done. That's not what it is. He's saying it's, 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 it's a break of fellowship when you refuse to serve. When, when, when you say no to what I'm asking you to do. When I'm calling you here and you say, mm, not me, no. That's a, that, you're breaking the fellowship. And what you don't understand, what you need most in your life is not more peace or more, more, more house or more money or more car. What you need most in your life is fellowship with me. And when you say no to me, you're breaking that fellowship. And now you say stuff like, I don't hear God like I used to. And now you're questioning, what is church about anyway? Because there's a breaking of the fellowship from you refusing what God's calling you into. Then he says to Peter, Peter says, okay, if that's the case, wash all of me. Give me a bath. Let's, let's do a bubble bath. I'll get some milk and like some candles. Let's wash me. Wash me, Jesus. He says, wait, no. You are already clean. It's just your feet. Previously, he says, you're completely clean, but your feet are dirty. This is confusing. Um, am I clean or not? Yeah. Am I dirty? Yeah. But am I clean? Yes. I get what Peter's saying because he's saying, if, if you got to clean me, don't just clean a part of me, clean all of me. I feel Peter. But Jesus says, I've already cleaned all of you. So why are you cleaning my feet? This is the tension of being saved and God still saving you. This is the tension of being rescued by God and he's still rescuing you every day. This is the tension of I'm saved, but I'm also being saved. This is what people call sanctification. You are clean. But every day, I got to come to him and say, could you clean me again? Because on this life, I'm traveling through life's journey, and life is messy, and there's issues, and there's circumstances, there's hills, and there's valleys, and I need to come to him time and time again and say, could you clean me again? You're clean, but you need to be cleaned again. When we learn this, we learn who to run to. 
because he's already cleansed me and he promised to clean me when I sin. Some of you have sinned on this fast. You're like, oh my goodness, I have destroyed the entire fast. God cannot speak to me anymore. I have to wait till next year because the chicken was there and things happened and I wasn't trying to do it, but Lord know my heart. Yeah, he knows it's wicked. And here's what he says. You're clean, but I feel dirty. But you're clean. Come here. Let me cleanse you again. This is the beauty of the good news of the gospel because 24 hours from then, he is going to lay on this cross and he's going to bleed out for me and this atoning sacrifice of Jesus is going to cleanse me once and for all. This is what he did for us on the cross that whoever will repent, put their trust and faith in him because he gives eternal life. He calls you clean. But every day, you need to be clean. That's what confession and repentance is. This is why I don't understand when people say, I can't say I'm sorry. I'm confused. What you're saying is, Jesus, don't you clean my feet. Point three, and I'm done. Contagious serving. Contagious serving. Remind you of the premise, if God gives you your dream, if he gives you your dream, if he gives you the thing you've been asking for or the place or the person or the position or whatever other P you want to place in there, can you use it to serve others? Now, I love this part. Jesus gets back to the table and he asks this question, do you know what I have done to you? Get the picture. He just cleaned all of their feet. Towel's messy. He takes that off, put back on his garment, goes back to the table to sit down. He's sitting down. They all must be stunned, just baffled. What just happened? Who does this? No student cleans their teacher's feet. Or no teacher cleans their student's feet. It's always the other way around. No mentee gets their feet washed by their mentor. Who does this? This would never happen at this time in their culture. The student always served the rabbi, not the other way around. So they, are, they don't have a category for what just happened. And here's what Jesus says. Do you know what I have done to you? He says, I have shown you how to serve. It's something about seeing a man love his family sacrificially and give up himself and stay committed and stay faithful even in the face of temptation and honor his wife and provide for his family and children. It's something about seeing that kind of man that is really, really, really contagious. Because if he can do that, then maybe I can do that. It's something about seeing a woman 
who would open up her home to allow people to come in and to get rest and to be encouraged and learn about the love of God. It's something about a woman that does that that's really, really, really contagious. That you can learn, oh, my house is not just for me. My apartment is not just for me. It's, it's really about others, that this, this apartment is a tool that God wants to use to make an impact on other people. That's contagious. When someone leverages their experience and their wisdom to pour into someone who needs it through mentorship and through discipleship, that is contagious. If you've ever received good discipleship, good discipleship leaves you with one option. Now you go make disciples. That's contagious. Rodney, what are you saying? The serving that God is calling us to do is not just so you can check a box and say, okay, I served. It's so you can serve in such a way that someone else would see and say, whew, that serving is contagious. My daughter is really sensitive about germs. If you sneeze around her, and she doesn't care who you are, she don't care what your title is, if you sneeze and don't cover your mouth, just, excuse me, can you cover your mouth, please? Her little brother knows that, so here is my drive to school every morning. I chew, will you cover your mouth, please? I chew, will you cover your mouth, please? I chew, will you cover your mouth, please? What if we were that concerned about how contagious our serving is? When you show up day after day, week after week, and give God your best in the service to his house, that stuff is contagious. When you live out your singleness with joy and contentment and expectation, that's contagious. When you would take a child that's not biologically yours and say, come into my family. Come into my house. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I will love you. I will shepherd you. That kind of action is contagious. And is that not what the Savior has done for us? You who are weary, who are lonely, who are wayward, you who are orphaned spiritually and have no home here, I will come down through 42 generations and I will provide a way for you to come home even when you don't have sense enough to act for it. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. When you faithfully and sacrificially give to the work of the ministry and trust your investment, even when you don't see an immediate return, that is contagious. You start a nonprofit who serves underserved populations in our community. That's contagious. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, there's no excuses. No excuses. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking if I was standing in between Shaquille O'Neal and, I don't know, one of the kids in Fellowship Kids, and if I was to say, um, Shaq is far taller than I am, and it's a big distance between me and Shaq. It'd be crazy for me to say, and, and Shaq was generous in giving stuff to me and blessing me, it'd be crazy for me to say, I can't come down and bless you. Right? 
God is so much bigger than Shaquille O'Neal. He is so infinite. He is so wise. He is so, so powerful. And yet this powerful God has come down to serve us, to be around sinners. If this God came from heaven to serve us, can we not be inconvenienced in serving others? 